0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Martin Lenz. Martin tours most often with one of the founding members of the Grammy-nominated group, BR-549, Chuck Mead. But he also stays busy performing and or recording with many others, including Cheap Tricks, Tom Peterson, Kevin Gordon, Mara, Bobby Bear, Rodney Corral, Marty Stewart, and many others. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash working drummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker, he did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns. And recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. Martin is one of those players in Nashville that I've known for quite some time. Uh, We've shared some of the same gigs with the same artists. I think we might have even played on some of the same records, but the chance to actually interact in person is long overdue, and I'm so glad that we got a chance to do it. Martin is such a great player and is really connected to some American roots that uh, I think is essential for covering just about any style you want to, and he's doing such a killer job of it. So, Really hope you enjoy this conversation with Martin Lyns.
1: If I'm working with a Cowboy Keith, I'm comfortable because yeah. that might as well be my house. Yeah, and and we, you know, we've done so many things together that i know how to talk to him about it
0: no i don't know cowboy keith
1: he uh uh, keith thompson he uh, co-owner of uh sid gold's request room he was the tour manager for br549 all through the 90s um he's a front of house now for um it was for Peter Cetera, front of house and tour manager at the same time, for Peter Cetera and mm-hmm. the Blues Brothers Band, That's mostly in Europe, a couple other acts, like Linda Carter, her Vanity Band, which, yeah. is, which is full of heavy hitters, yeah. like Blue Lou Marini and all those guys. Mm-hmm. He's more of a front of house guy, really, but he he's done a lot of studio stuff, and, and uh, he's a very stripped-down style of recording. He's got the mics if he needs them, but, you know... His studio is in the basement. It's about the size of this whole space. Mm -hmm. The drum room is about that big. For some reason, the drum room is the biggest room. It's where the coffee is and all that stuff. Yeah. The drums are out there. and then Everybody else is in. Everybody else can see each other. So. Yeah. I've recorded for years without ever seeing anybody. I'm the only one. Everybody else can see. (laughs) But that's him. You know, he's. Once you meet him, you'll you'll meet him again. I'm sure he's a character.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's but, awesome. I mean, it's good done, to have those people. I'll
1: send you some links to this, some some of the stuff he's done. Okay, he had we did a bunch of soul records of various different kinds of stuff. Um, this guy Tommy Tommy McDonald, who's one of the singers for the Blues Brothers, and Tommy Keenum and a couple other singers. We did some two Charlie McCoy records. He he always Charlie always wanted to do a bossa nova record, so we did a whole bossa nova. Like it's like six seven songs. Okay, and we did another one with him. It was all just Henry Mancini stuff, and it's full orchestration. Like this was you know it's the bossa nova was a nine piece band. Wow, all in that house playing live, and there were very few overdubs. It was big enough to do that the piano is upstairs in one of the bedrooms and upright and snaked down through the house and it was me and uh glenn caruba do you know him?
0: i know of glenn group yeah yeah
1: he's now the ceo of pearl <laughs> last time i talked to him yeah he, he was head of he was head of Latin Percussion, and then one day the, the guy that's just said, right. hey,
0: do you want to... I'm like, how do I know the name? I, yeah. I, I, I worked retail years ago. I worked at Forks when I first moved here oh, in yeah. 2000, and I worked at a drum store in Ohio for a few years. And so I knew the name. I knew all those
2: mm-hmm. people.
1: It was like Michael Holscher and Jen Gunderman. She was playing organ, and he was playing piano upstairs, oh, and cool. Randy Liego, and, yeah. and Roy Agee, and... I can't remember who else, but it was and Charlie McCoy right in the middle. But um, yeah, I'll send you a link to some of that. Stuff. That's
0: cool. It's funny because there's so many different circles in Nashville, and yeah. some of them intersect in a in a bold way, and some of them intersect in a very small way. And I and and I feel like your your world and my world have intersected. We know a lot of the same people. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: well, drummers, it's weird. It's harder anyway because we never play together.
0: Yeah, so yeah. Well, first, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, so I think similar to you, I grew up learning and listening to a lot of jazz. It was almost like a rite of passage to just to play and to learn. And now when I get called to do anything remotely like jazz yeah. or bossa nova or something like that, I kind of have to... Do a little refresher or something like that, because that's not like a regular thing for me. Is that a... It
1: is a little different for me. Okay. I I grew up listening to... I was born in 1965, so that gives you what I was listening to, you know, on the radio. I was just pure pop. My parents had records, but it was nothing but like Tom Jones and stuff like that, you know, Neil Diamond. Uh Uh-huh. That's the stuff I, I grew up listening to and, you know, being in church. My grandfather was a Church of Christ preacher. Um, I didn't come to jazz until I started. Uh, I didn't start playing drums until I was in sixth grade. I was beaten on everything that I could get my hands on, like just all over the house. I was making drums out of anything, you know. But the high school, when I was in sixth grade, this, this band came and played and they were really, it was really just kind of an ad for their music store. It was the bandwagon music store. And they came and did a concert and I was like, man, I, I want to do that. And, uh, so I got lessons and then I was in the school band and that was, and I've been playing ever since I was 10. But, um, once I got into junior high, I went through the whole public school music, system Mm -mm. so that you know when you're playing in the jazz band that's what you're playing that's when i really started to get into it like in the late 70s i didn't know anything about jazz until then okay then i got way into it yeah um and then i got out of it like probably probably like 81 82 jazz was not going in it was not interesting to me at that point. It, hmm. it was in a weird spot. I mean, Wynton Marsalis was maybe the only thing happening at that time, and it was all fusion. I and, and there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. It just wasn't where my head was at. Um, it was like Spirogyra and all this stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 and, especially
0: uh, at that time.
1: At the same time, though, I was listening to, uh, you know, late 70s country i'm from a little citrus town in florida so i was listening to whaling and all this stuff i mean in in my truck in high school i had you know charlie daniels more haggard but i also had the clash and acdc and (laughs) i was lucky enough to tell jason ringenberger one time that it wasn't until jason the scorchers that that made sense for guys like us all over the country you know yeah then you went oh yeah, you can do both of these at the same time. You don't yeah. have to do one. <laughs> so I I I moved away from jazz completely and then I'm when I'm I've, I grew up in Florida and when I moved up to DC, that's when I really started to play. I played in bands, always played in bands, but not went to University of Florida, played in, you know, little bands around there, but never really my my intent to move up to D C was to not play music really, just dabble. I wanted to I uh, was the first person in my family to go to college. So I was like, I'm going to get a straight job. I'm going to be in air conditioning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to wear yeah, right. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to have to wash my hands at the end of the day and you know, all this stuff. And uh, I'm just, I'll, you know, but I started, you know, immediately, you know, somebody was like, hey, do you want to play with this? Do you want to do that? And I started playing more and more. And then I ended up playing in... Um, the DC punk scene this was 1988 89 i started yeah, playing with sure. a, with a with a kind of like a proto punk kind of band called El quattro that was kind of like new york more new york dolls than it was sex pistols kind of stuff and i got kind of to know some of the discord people uh, you know up there we were never a part of that you know that label, but i I know you know Jeff Nelson from the drummer for Meyer Threat was really supportive of some of the stuff I was doing, and some of the bands I was in and were were really good friends. I just actually he just sent me a book the other day, but um, so that was kinda in that world for a while mm-hmm. and then uh I was but i you know if I could play jazz, there were a couple of little jazz bands playing around and it was it wasn't like the hard stuff it was more like uh you know american songbook jazz you know not, sure not like you know straight no chaser you know kicking ass 100 miles an hour jazz you know because I, I mean i still i'm not qualified for that i can swing but,
0: well right i mean at its core and, and so when we first started talking we were talking about this the session you're doing with these these boston nova tracks mm did you do anything before to prepare or I mean to just kind of get your head in the space the
1: first time i really well other than the fact that bossa nova is part of the, the jazz vocabulary even in even in junior high and high school
0: right you know, and we're making kind of that assumption you're we're like, throwing that in you're
1: reading these basic Sammy nestico written charts for bossa nova which is just the basic you know, something that, you know, like a Hammond organ has as a preset, you know, kind of Bossa Nova.
0: the Sammy's charts are fun to blow. I
1: hadn't heard of them. But, uh, I can't remember where I was at.
0: Oh, sorry. Oh,
1: yeah. But uh, I didn't really get a chance to even mess around with Bossa Nova till I was up here. Because uh, James Haggerty, Hags Haggerty. Uh-huh. Um, he had a...
0: It was uh, Gilbasa was his group.
1: No, no, his no. no, thing no, no was... His thing is Hagsanova. This Hags-no-va. was his thing, and this was probably oh, seventeen years ago. Now at this point, Everything. I'm thinking of Chris
0: Autry's. Group Autry's got Gilbasa.
1: Gilbasa. Hags, this thing was a big band. It was nine, and it was, you know, just a big ensemble of a lot of singers, and it was Ken Coomer on drums, and I was playing. Uh, auxiliary percussion stuff, and that's when I went down the rabbit hole. And I went, well, I better learn how to do this. I mean, I, I didn't have a background in it. I mean, I heard it and I loved it, but yeah. I, you know, that's when I, you know, borrowed a quika from Randy Liego and, you know, really started to bear down on it. But my love for the bossa stuff was really the kit. I really was interested in what to do on a kit when there's no when there's no one else around. So eventually, I started playing drums on that stuff. And Ken was, you know, off being Ken Coomer, so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've done, I've done since then uh, that, that was my entrance into going into deep dives on that stuff. And I still have a lot to learn on yeah. for Bossa Nova, but um, jazz, I, I feel I get really inspired by Art Blakey and uh, Papa Joe Jones. Those guys are my two main guys because of their subtlety and, they're more concerned about making music with their instrument than they are necessarily showing how fast they can play or mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. you know crazy fill that you know that makes them sound like you know like they're an alien amazingly you know to, and I love that shit too but like for me it's there's something about um the, there's an earthiness to what those guys do especially Blakey that I find really interesting plus plus it feels approachable you know it's like kind of like when you listen I, Art Blakey I think is the the guy who could who understood how Thelonious Monk better than any other drummer I feel like he could do it sure it's something he got it and it's not an easy thing to get yeah um but it's all but it was also like hey I can play that I can do that you know but it, that, not that it's easy but like it was a way to you know, kind of get in there and then then start worrying about like complicated polyrhythms and
0: well I think that there's some of these kind of basic principles we forget about. When we're introduced to them or we're introduced to these players, you may have somebody or a teacher or whoever say, Look, you can play different parts of the ride to get different sounds and it's like, well why would I do this? I'm just I'm just hitting it. I'm riding on it. Yeah. But I think what they're doing is they're pulling from this playbook of players that are exploring sounds and tones and creating melodies yeah. on a very small kit. Yeah. And, and it's, it's beautiful. And, and there's some examples of that still that we can look to. Um, I'm, Bill Stewart is a, I'm a huge fan of Bill Stewart's mm-hmm. playing. Um, yeah. And even I, I go down these Carter McLean rabbit holes as mm-hmm. well. And looking at their technique is so much more, Exciting to me now, than than it was, than it used to be. Um, you can see my little tribute to, to Neil Peart. Over oh yeah, over here. oh
1: yeah. We, if you, you know, so, we all went through Neil. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so to. I mean, I I've gotten to
0: a place in my life where I <laughs> yeah. recognize that this is why I play drums. This is what inspired me. But how do you deconstruct that in 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 useful ways that is applicable to? The kinds of music that you want to see yourself doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, a guy like Neil Perrot, you you want to take maybe one tenth of what that guy could
0: do, and then that's and then make a career that, out of
1: and do that. You know, <laughs> like, because th- there, you know, there's there's him, there's Keith Moon, there's Stuart Copeland, and if you you imitate them at your peril, you know, like,
0: <laughs> that's a really great fra- I- Imitate yeah. them at, at your peril. And there's other drummers that you just can't imitate <sighs> enough. Yeah. Whether it's, it's a gad or Steve Froney or even Bonham, like it will serve you well.
1: Yeah. And, and those guys are, you know, I consider those guys more meat and potato guys, you know, like they're, what they're doing is not easy, but yeah, you can hear it. A, a good friend of mine, uh, a long time ago, when when I was playing with him, it was like, "Don't do any fills that somebody can't pound out on their dashboard when they're driving down the road." You know that kind of stuff. Neat. And yeah. uh, you know that's that's him. You know, obviously, different things call for different things. But I always I keep that at the back of my mind, especially when I'm recording. Yeah. For like you know most of the most of the stuff I'm doing is Americana, in you know, Nashville mid tempo whatever but you know it just depends i mean but even when i'm doing jazz stuff i'm still thinking like you know they always say sing your solo there's no reason that shouldn't apply to drums right I mean, but at least you know you could at least be doing bop it a bop in your head you know you don't have to sing it but
0: one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is um so last week i saw you at a gig and and like you were there hanging out and you know it wasn't real packed but i you know I saw you there, and it, it didn't register to me that it was you, and it frustrated me to no end because it also brings up something that is kind of a modern thing: is that like we've been friends on social media for a long time. We mm. have a lot of mutual friends. I've seen you play. I've seen like like we've known we've known mm. of each other, but like in the actual flesh in. The real world yeah I missed an opportunity to interact with you
1: well i you know I, part part of its personalities right you know um i i don't go around i don't, i don't go up to people you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know i i i don't assume it's just my personality i'm not extrovert i'm I'm introverted so yeah. i I like to go to places and then talk to a couple of people and then I go, I, I don't really make the scene too much. That's why for me, as weird as social media can be, like I I thrive on it because I know how to do it without hurting myself or others with the obvious painful learning curve that yeah. everybody else has to do. Um, most people I've got, I've, I've gotten at least five or six, gigs, repeat gigs, because of people knowing me on Facebook, not people that I haven't spent any time talking to.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Um, but they know I'm around and you know, because of the way Nashville is, um everyone can play. Yeah, I, I I've yeah. said this a million times and I'm sure it's been said on this podcast, but not everybody can play in Nashville. I I always felt felt feel like if you want to audition somebody, just get in the van and drive. The Knoxville and back, <laughs> and because it, chances are, if you've already getting along with them personality wise, yeah, they'll figure you can get the the rest figured out. So, um,
0: but I see you're at a lot of gigs though. You're hanging but, out. Well, going I've been out. going out more lately. Okay,
1: yeah i I've 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 been playing with Chuck Mead for ten years. And as he gets busier, busier as a music director, I find myself with more time to step out. And you know, you go through these periods where I've I felt felt starting about I don't know year ago, my playing felt started feeling a little stale. Mm. So I just it helps me to go watch other. Besides, just I like music. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm. I like music more than I like drums. I, you know, I'm in it for the music. I'm not yeah, into drums yeah. for the drums. I and I, that is not a judgment in any way. I know people like, uh, a f- friend of mine was, he went, he had a show and, and he was, uh, you know, you can come over. I've got, I've got a drum kit. I said, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Whatever. He goes, it's, a, uh, you know, it's like a 1965 Ludwig. And you can tell it's that because it's the, the, it says patent pending instead of, you know, the patents on there. And it, I'm pretty sure it was made in data. Uh, and I'm like, you know, my symbols are yellow. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I, I know that stuff. I, I, the things I know about gear are kind of the way a lot of people know about software on computers and computers and stuff. There's a thing I want to do and I pick up information as I need that right, to happen. Right. And of course, over, I've been, I've been playing drum set since I was, 13. So, I mean, obviously, I've picked up a lot, but it's very easy to get out of my knowledge very quickly.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. right.
1: <laughs> when, when, when drummers start getting into like, well, you know, the bearing edge was at two, you know, this degree, uh, that, and I, I'm it's like, it's a little distracting. Man, I t- well, I don't, I don't, yeah. I just think it depends on your personality. Like,
0: okay. I
1: think I know really great drummers that are doing really big things and and they talk about that stuff. That's true. And it's enough to make you wonder, well, shit, maybe I should be talking. And you also
0: know really great drummers that don't know anything about their...
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, the ends justify the means. It's very easy to try to go, well, if I do these things, then this will happen.
0: Are you a Joey Barron fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's in that that camp. Yeah. He just just knows how to take just about anything and just make music out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That I, I approach it as a, you know, some of my uh, some of my favorite drum tracks. I'm fascinated by um drummers who aren't drummers, like when Richard Manuel plays drums for the band, or when mm. McCartney plays drums. Oh, right. Um, I learn I learn a lot by listening to them because they're music. They're 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 melodic musicians first, and they're playing drums, and that's where I want my head to be. With you know, I I can mess around on a bass guitar and I can do a couple of chords on a guitar or whatever. And I've messed around with mandolins and stuff, but I'm not, I can't play. So for me, it's like listening to those guys thinking what they're, how they're approaching it, especially since none of them probably have had a single listen, even Stevie Wonder's drumming amazing. Oh, right.
0: Yeah. It's so funny when, when, when modern drummer, again, modern drummer I'm talking about that a lot uh, right now, but um when that was a thing and drummers were talking about their favorite they'd have a small list, like their mm-hmm. Desert Island records and some of their favorite drummers. And Stevie Wonder would come up a lot. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, sure. You know.
0: Sure. But one of the things that I, I'm trying to like wrap my head around in this like as as your career evolves or as mm-hmm. you kinda settle into well, well, this is into the reality of this is what I do for a living. This is how I spend my time. Yeah,
1: I I should point out that I have I for when I lived in D.C. and I was playing those bands. Like I told you, yeah. I was a book editor. Okay. For the American Psychiatric Association, I have no background in that. I just I'm a copy editor. Mm-hmm. Something I still do to this day. Like yeah. they send me stuff that keeps that keeps it keeps me sane because I like both I like books and I like music and I get to do both and they're completely different things. Of
0: course. You
1: know? And uh, but also just for pragmatic reasons, you know, it got me through the pandemic and yeah. stuff like that. So, and I can do it on the road. So I am not a, I am not purely making my living by sure. playing drums, which is not uncommon.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. It, I would think it, it would
1: be the vast majority actually.
0: Right. Uh, I remember uh, running to, into Steve Bowman years ago and I was like, dude, I want you to come on the podcast. And he's like, well, because, dude, I I'm not playing drums like I I do the occasional gig but I'm 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 not doing this as much anymore this is at a time when
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know there was a big flood and it's a long story but I was like no all the more reason mm-hmm. that I want you to tell your story yeah. and talk about kind of some of the realities of of this and 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 mm-hmm. normalizing the the idea that you when you juggle all these things mm-hmm that sometimes it can be to your benefit to uh, find other means of income so that you can stay in love with music and in love
1: with drums. Exactly. Uh, and I, again, it goes back to personalities. I know people that wake up every day thinking about the angle of the bearing hedge on the Tom that they bought <laughs> and and do paradiddles for half an hour, and do all that stuff. And I, I'm. I sound like I'm making fun of them, but I'm not. Only a half an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and it suits them. You know, I would go. I would. I would grow to hate what I'm doing if I only did this. And I know it's. It. It can sound like a rationalization because there was a, only a brief period where I was just drumming full time. But for me that, to stay sane, I needed to do both of those things you know i one of them they're so different you know that when, when i'm getting tired of one i can go do the other one and,
0: but when you're out i'm sorry to cut you off but when you're out uh, is is part of the residual of being out and you know seeing other musicians and seeing friends and stuff like that mm-hmm. it could be another gig a session a small tour or whatever mm-hmm. i mean you, you I'm. I'm guessing that that's got to be kind of part of part of it, as aside from just going out supporting friends, seeing music, being inspired. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm out at a show, I it's. I mean, I don't want yes. to diminish I, this. No, no, no. no. You know. uh, if I go out to a show, I'm I am supporting someone to some extent. Um. I I don't. I mean, I'm lucky in the fact that I live in a town where I, virtually everyone I know, I like what they do. You know, <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I'm not, I've, I can't remember last time I was in a situation where I, I was going to see something that I re- really, I, I prefer to not say I hate
2: mm-hmm. this
1: or I hate this band or I hate this stuff. I prefer, I prefer to say it's not for me. You know, it's not, of know? course. So, yeah. which it's amazing how you can, def, you know, completely deflate any kind of argument about music if you just go, you know, what that's just not for me, man. You know, right. But right, right. De, instead of they suck, you know, <laughs> then it's like, okay, now we got, now we got to argue about what color is the best. <laughs> yeah. You know? Anyway, um, so sometimes I'm going to support a friend. Sometimes I really like, you know, I just watched Jack Silverman last night, which is he's a friend and I'm really inspiring watching his band. It's a thing I've been trying to watch more of to try to just kind of create new pathways in my brain about what I'm playing and how I can apply it. Mm -hmm. It's all very improvisational, very, very, you know, very faint sketches of an idea of song. Maybe sometimes they just, they just go, you know, it's, but it's, um, I go. You know, Robbie Crowell is a drummer for Midlands right now. He okay. Um, he's a multi-instrumentalist, but he's one of those guys that you can't tell what his first instrument is. <laughs> right? I mean, he's touring. He's touring. He's doing most of his work in drums right now, but his first instrument is saxophone. It's incredible. He's doing what? Improv stuff at Eastside Bowl. Okay. And he's his impro- improvisational thing is he's bringing in three to four other musicians who don't really know each other and haven't played together and they don't even know who's coming. And then they show up and then they play two 45 minute sets of improvised music. That is, there is no, there is no pathway. There is no sketch. There's nothing. They play 45 minutes, take a break. And then they play 45 minutes again. There was one time it was him and three pedal steel players and he was playing like a Moog and stuff like that. Um, that stuff is for, is for me. You know that's. I mean, besides, I I dig it. You know, it, but it's like any improv when it when it's hitting, it's it's incredible, right? You know, but you have to sit there for a while and there's watch people search around try to get to that spot. Sure, sure. It's not like you know improv comedy is the same, but
0: um, there's some some uncomfortable moments that that.
1: Well, that's but that's what makes it cool, you know, because like when you get on the edge like that and it might fall apart, that's where. It's kind of like, you know, I guess NASCAR or something like that, where like they might wreck, you know.
2: There's but, a
0: band in Columbus I played with. It was a lot of improv stuff. And some nights were magic because of that. Right. And some nights were a train wreck. And you had to just roll the dice
1: yeah, to get there. The, the, uh, are you familiar with Eugene Chadbourne? No. Kind of an avant garde. Uh, Avant-garde dude from North Carolina he did a record with Camper Van Beethoven and
2: mm.
1: other stuff, but very ex- experimental. I did some shows with him in New York, a place called Tonic, which was John Zorn's club. This was in the 90s. Um, he would play like a note perfect um, version of Moonlight Vermont on the piano. Then he would play the theme to The Exorcist too. And He had an electric rake that had it was actually a metal rake with pickups in it. It was very experimental stuff. Wow. It would make people angry. <laughs> anyway, um, it's very interesting to you. I learned a lot from him. Um, but he said he, 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 he has this book, which is out of print. I have a copy of it. It's hard to find. It's called, I, I think it's called, I hate the man who owns this bar or it's I hate the man who runs this bar. And it's basically like, uh, you know, how-to guide to be a musician you know the you know the first thing is like you're never going to be famous you know like <laughs> yeah. you know all all this really pragmatic stuff but his what it, one of the things i i took away from that was uh, he said on any any given night any band playing has the potential to be the greatest band in the world mm. you know right that night like you just never know I mean, and that goes back to what you're saying. Like, yeah, you can have these amazing improv- improvised moments. You just got to stack those up. They got to happen. You know, it's more a frequency thing. You got to have those great moments more and more and more. That That's when you start okay you know, getting on to something because, you know, you can always stick around in your garage and you're going to hit these really cool moments, but you got to make those cool, it's, you know, you, those cool moments have to happen all the time. It's like golf or something, you know, you, you, can, you know, anybody can hit a hole in one at some point, but you gotta, you know, you How gotta do, you do it consistently. Gotta consistently. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, my joke with, with my buddies is like, we'll be on a gig and I'll say, you know, after a, tra- a song or whatever, I'll say, man, you should have heard me in the practice room <laughs> slamming, you know, but yeah, I mean, and, 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 I'm one of those weirdos that likes to practice. I mean, you can see, even mm. since my kids are out of the house, I'm like taking over more space. And so not only do I have my practice room and my recording <laughs> space, but now I have a practice pad kit that I put together recently Man, so I can watch YouTube videos and just kind of <laughs> edge out. But i just, I just one of those weird guys that likes to practice. Um, and it gets to the point where I have to ask myself, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I think it's less physical and more mental
2: mm-hmm.
0: in that when I have good gigs or bad gigs, I can't always put my finger on why it happened that way.
1: Well, if, if, if you could, you'd be a millionaire <laughs> okay. because you just never know. You really
0: don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just kind of like eliminating all the variables and, and whatever way I can is that by practicing all the time? Is it meditating? I've started doing that the last couple Mm of years, every morning, um, you know, all these other things. That
1: goes back to what I was saying. There is no path, you know, like there's all, there's things that can predispose you to success or whatever your goals are. Doing them does not guarantee that. It just doesn't, you know, you can practice rudiments, Swiss rudiments. You can do all that stuff all the time. And yeah. And in the end, you sound like a guy who's playing everything he knows all the time. who hasn't spent any time, or girl, um, playing with bands. And then there's guys who play with bands all the time. And, you know, frankly, they should be practicing a little bit because they're not doing so good. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, there is a certain thing to be said about flight time, just hanging in there and playing forever. But I've seen, you know, I, I've seen drummers who have clearly been playing their whole lives. And you're going to like, well... You know, it's either as good as they're able to do or, you know, they've been, haven't been spending their time as wisely as maybe they should be. I don't know. You know, but the thing is, it's like I go through periods and I'm starting a period right now where I'm starting to play on my own more. Okay. And practice just because I'm trying to shake myself out. There was a time when I was playing so much, it was like I just couldn't make myself do it, you know? Sure. And like, there, I, I, I read it, I felt a lot better about that when I, I there was an interview with Chris Franz. I just went and saw uh, Stop Making Sense, which is inspiring. Huh. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? No. That's uh, Talking Heads performance film?
0: That's right. I was like, how do I know that title? Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, and I saw that. Uh, highly recommend it. Said Back in 2012. Course. Yeah uh before and then a guy was traveling with was really into it and i'm like oh this is cool and then my son brought this up because do you know this i said the only concert i know is this one and it's that one Mm -hmm. i want to see it i'm not a huge talking heads fan but i gotta see it it's
1: worth watching um it's i think it's i think it's the greatest concert performance film ever made cool I, i think it's the best one Okay, and I think that's true. Even whether your whatever your feelings are, obviously it's going to be easier to watch and feel like what they do. But uh, he he plays a standard uh, one, two, three, four four piece kit. Well, two to, two racks, snare. Instead of a floor tom, I don't know. He has a floor tom, but beyond that, he has two timbales. Mm-hmm. No ride. Two crash cymbals, real high. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I read it, at least on this, you know, on this performance. And I was reading an interview with him a few years ago. He's a good guy to follow on Facebook. Okay, posts a lot. Where he goes, yeah. He goes, I'll go. He goes, I'll, I mean, obviously, he has the luxury of being able to do that. He he'll go. I, you know, there's long periods of time where I don't even think about drums. You know, I'm constantly listening to music, but there's long periods of time where I, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm not one of those guys, you know, unless I'm playing with a band, chances are I'm not playing drums, you know, and, but, but what he does with that band, and that's why, that's why bands can be so important, and a drummer can be absolutely perfect for a band, but really not good in other scenarios. Right, right, exactly. So he's a band drummer, but. Yeah, yeah. And. I go back and forth because I've I've been playing with Chuck Mead for eleven years now, and I was also in a, a band called Marat f- for about four years. Yeah, in the early two thousands, um, I was in a band from D.C. called Last Train Home. Right. Still, I still play with. Well, you know, because Eric. Yeah. Both Eric. That's um, right. <laughs> but I've always d- done the odd gigs, you sure. know, on the side. So. Uh, more this this year, this last two years, I've been focusing more on. I've created a few things of my own, some trios, and and another ensemble with Kurt Perkins. That's all like American songbook crooner stuff. Yeah, and it's a, another thing with trio, piano trio with Seth Thims, but also just trying to get little side stuff here and there. And it's all you have to do is hang out, and it starts happening.
0: right 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 here in this town anyway yes well uh speaking of eric brace and last train home uh i had a chance to meet him i don't know maybe 12 years ago 15 years Mm -hmm. ago or so and and played a little bit with him but i always knew about you working with him in dc and that band and so i know that you guys connected in dc can you tell me about what you learned during that time. Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, I kind
1: of I kind of paused on my on my bio in DC and my musical history. Yeah. Um, I was playing in you know in these kind of punk bands and you know trash rock bands and stuff like that. Not just I was still wasn't looking to do anything. Er, Eric's the reason I'm sitting here talking to you right now. Right. Um there was a place up in Arlington, Virginia called Iota. It was a uh, well it was a small club. Hence the name. That got a little bit bigger, but anyway, um, it's one of those things like the family wash here where um I was I helped build the stage, you know I was a doorman but I you know I still had a day job, but I spent you know there were times there where I was playing there four or five nights a week, and I was a doorman, that's how I got to know Eric because I was a doorman for this band that I also ended up playing with called the Gray robbers, which is kind of like a garage rock band um I met him there, and er- Eric is. Persistent, yeah cheerfully persistent. Yeah, he can put thought. He puts act. Uh, he puts accent of thought more consistently than most people that I know. Like if he has an idea, he sees it through. That's, or at least tries. that's a
0: great. Yeah, that's a great. descriptor.
1: It's probably one of the best qualities you could have if you're trying to do this because you because <laughs> Lord knows how much how many fake bands we've all come up with he's got bands.
0: bands record labels yeah, if yeah he, he, all those things
1: and he if he wants something within reason not and not in an irritating way he just tries to get it mm-hmm. so anyway he and i wasn't playing i was still playing rock bands and i was like I heard what he did and it wasn't what I was doing at the time. But in, like I said, I'd had a back and you know what he, what last train home is, is hard to really pin down. It's, it is Americana. There's everything's in it. Um, but it, you know, when I first heard the stuff that he had re- recorded already, it sounded like c- country, you know, but you know, like Amer- pr- proto Americana.
0: Take a band, know. put a steel player yeah. and a saxophone player yeah. in it, and you can fill in the gaps.
1: Yeah. And I was like, well, and I, I had done a little stint with a hard honky tonk band called uh, they're called Rodeo Motel, and it was straight all covers from 1950s, just straight up honky tonk shuffles. I learned a lot playing with those guys because I hadn't really I'd heard all this stuff, but I'd never messed around with it, and that was a good way to just really dig in mm-hmm. so um and i was kind of like yeah you know you, you always say yes to you say no and i was just saying yeah sure you know and he would like every time i saw him you know just kept at one point came over and picked me up because i was living in the D.C. uh at the time i was uh, my uh was married and uh we only had one car so he was i'll come get you Mm-hmm. Brought me over to his house and worked on stuff, you know, so he's the reason that I'm playing with him, you know, and then with that band, it's, we, that one, you know, you never know what's going to take off really, you yeah. know, it just, it just kept getting, you know, it's, it's, it got big enough where we just played it. The band kind of, you know, only sort of exists. It only exists like Brigadoon, you know, And at Christmas time, we all. Or just after Christmas time, we do shows up up in DC. Like, okay, we, we can sell out the Birchmere and you know, the Rams Head in Annapolis and play in Richmond, and then it then it just goes back to everybody doing what they're doing.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: But, um,
0: but he moves in Nashville and we yeah.
1: all moved at the same time. Okay, um, actually, me and uh, Jim, Jim and I uh, moved slightly before because we bought houses and all that stuff. Cause we were done, we were ready to go. And it wasn't, it was never going to be, uh, we're going to, we're going to make it, you know, it was never going for the brass ring. It was like, I want to live somewhere. I remember the first time I started coming down here and playing, was like the mid nineties and hanging out backstage somewhere and, or I- anywhere. And the, you know, I felt, I, I, I remember thinking, this is what it's like to be uh Jewish and to go to Israel. You know, like in a music way, like, yeah. cause the conversation is like, it's just so much higher, you know, you, you can have, you can, you can, you know, I can go into most places and say the name Ferlin Husky and somebody knows what I'm talking about <laughs> or, you know, yeah. Or or any you pick pick any style of music and I guarantee it, or if Randy Lie, Liego's in the room he knows everything so right <laughs> but and I was like man and, I, and one of the first things we did was we were hanging out uh, Raúl Malo really liked what we did and yeah so we were hanging out um, with him and playing records and stuff and I was like man and you could just you didn't have to go, well, Herb Alpert was the trumpet player. You know, he's like, I got 10 Herb Alpert re- re- records mm-hmm. and he's talking about different players. and stuff. So we were, we were playing a lot. And like I said, I was an editor and I knew that I could be on the other end of, of where I was. Like I was in there sending out work to people who were freelance and did their own thing. And I knew I could be one of those people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the three of us, the rest of the, the rest of the guys were, you know, they they were more anchored down with kids and stuff. Jim had just had a brand new baby boy, and he he was, you know, it's like the size of a potato. So you can you can you can still make a move like that, you know, when you've got like thirteen year olds moving yeah, to a, a completely other city yeah, would be a little bit bad. But um, so anyway,
0: who was the steel player who worked live with him? Because I think he's the...
1: still does Dave Van Allen.
0: Yeah, um, I I did a couple shows with Dave years ago, I'm sorry, with Eric, and and Dave was on on it, and we had to go from one place to another, and I rode with him, or he, or something like that, we just, we spent, you know, three hours in a car, it was really interesting to kind of, like, get his perspective of making music and living in Virginia.
1: Yeah, he, he, because his... His bio is incredible. He he came from that. There's an incredible pedigree of steel players who came out of that mid-Atlantic region, like Tommy Hannum, oh, wow. who plays with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Pete Finney who plays played with Reba and just finished before, obviously, before he died. He was playing with Michael Nesmith and oh yeah whatever's considered the monkeys now yeah and stuff like that and reba and doug som and those guys are and Van allen those guys there were country gigs in uh in in the 70s in dc that were seven nights a week those guys were playing easily as much as you know guys playing on lower broad yeah and, and the way it worked with country acts is like you know Dottie west would come into town and she would just use that band they would right. just have the charts Right. So those guys have like deep, deep knowledge of that stuff. And that's where, that's the world Dave came out of. Okay. And then beyond that, he just, you know, he just plays, you know, he, he ain't afraid to drive because he lives outside Philly. Okay. <laughs> that's another thing.
0: So when you first moved to town, were you like, okay, I've, I've kind of got this gig, but I want to do more oh, here? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that's a good question. Um, I had,
0: Or did you think about it at all?
1: Because of what we had at Iota, but by this time we were playing Iota a lot, and we uh, were—I can't remember if we got—we got to the point where we were playing there. We would take over the weekend. We would play Friday night, Saturday night, and a Sunday matinee. Wow! Um, About once a month, even after we moved down here, we would fly back up and do them because you know we could never really max out more than like five hundred. That was like really topping out as the most we could ever get but if we did it that's because you know that's one night and either people can make it or they can't but if you play over a weekend we'd get 800 people through there no problem right but also what it meant was these a lot of the artists would come to town a lot like the Dottie West thing I was talking about like um, John D. Graham and Paul Birch and other people where they just used us yeah usually us meant me and Jim the bass player Jim Gray okay and we would just, they'd send us a cassette and we would learn the stuff and we would play. And Paul said, I um, mean, if you ever get down in Nashville, let me know. And that we got down there and I, yes, we had the last train home thing. But one of the first things I did at the time, he and his wife had a restaurant in Five Points. That is where uh, Van Gogh's is now. Okay. Uh, wine bar. They had a restaurant called uh, Little Red Wagon. I went there expressly to tell him I'm here <laughs> and, and so Jim. And he was like, cool. And that, so between, you know, the, the last three stuff was set, you know, as far as gigs, Eric, Eric took care of that. So whenever we had a to tour, I turned around, I did other stuff around it, but we had a lot of free time. So, during the days, especially in the early days. So we would go over to Paul Birch's house and we would just play for long periods of time. And it wasn't like his material. We would just start playing. Wow. And it's really one of the only times I've ever been able to do that where, um, rather than just learn the tunes and we'll, we'll start playing and stuff like that. It was like, we were just playing like kink songs and, you know, Hank Snow songs and stuff like that. We'd, and just, learned how to play together yeah and then we started playing his stuff so we were a trio for good um five six years where it was basically either we were out with last train home or or jim and i were out with him and so that was first but then the family watch was critical became the iota of nashville for me so i was there all the time between that and bongo java if you were in town and not much going on if you sat around those two places long enough you would have a gig you know they're just smart. there's not as many people as there were now cuz there used to be you could drummers at least in my world when i when i moved, when did i moved here in 2003 so okay there were like a handful of guys you know it's like if right. you know usually i used to say like if you can't get Paul Griffiths give me a call you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh So, you know, it wasn't like it was now where there's just drummers everywhere. It didn't feel that way anyway. I mean, obviously there were no, no small amount, but usually there was like five or six drummers around and they would, you know, sometimes there were times where I was playing, I was playing with Kevin Gordon and Kevin Gordon was playing something that possibly I would be doing, you know, I'd be out, um, I'd be out with Paul, you know, Paul Griffith. Mm-hmm. i would be out with Kevin Gordon playing, and Paul Griffith will be playing a gig that I would normally be playing, but just because of scheduling, we were doing right. the opposite. Right. So that's kind of, it just kind of blossomed from there. And then doing things like, you know, getting to know Hags. And then, you know, we, once, and, you know, Hags and Nova happens. And then part of what, during a certain period of last train, of- we were riding in the van, and Jen Gunderman was with us, the uh, keyboard player. She plays with the, cheryl crow now and a million Small other artist, things just, cheryl crow yeah. yeah yeah and just phenomenal player yeah and uh we were and jim we were just riding down 81 and uh the vince garaldi christmas record was on we're like oh yeah sure. it'd be so cool to do that we should do that sometime and just and it's like all of those pieces come together right so eric's in the van We're back there talking about it. The family wash exists. So, Eric Brace, he always puts thought to action, right? We're sitting back there talking about not doing anything. He gets on the phone, calls Jamie Rubin, and says, and then gets on the phone, goes, okay, you guys have got two weeks. He's going to, you got to play this, you know, Saturday after next. And that's a culmination of all those things being coming together at one moment. And now, like the ornaments, like we've got, we're playing. Last year, I think we had almost three thousand people see that show,
0: yeah, and yeah.
1: Uh, this one is, is gonna be bigger. We're doing like five nights this time or six nights, and whatever the eighteenth through the twenty third of december and uh when did you
0: first start because i it I was with...
1: almost twenty years ago, I think we're at year seventeen, so um, like okay, that.
0: okay. Because I, I mean, we used to go to the Bell Court, and we've we've gone oh, yeah. a couple times, and 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 saw you guys there uh, when my kids were little.
1: Yeah, I love doing that. We've we're doing matinees still, but cat's um, one of those things that went away over the pandemic. Okay, uh, Bell Court's more focused on that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. I it I guess it's it's interesting trying to extrapolate these ways of. Kind of getting more work and and, and yeah. I hate to put it that way, but I mean, kind of find yourself making music and and living that way and making a living as a musician and and there's like, well, I did this and I did that and was, and and it, there's a lot of intentionality in in these moves uh, and I've I've always been kind of wired that way I think to a fault where. Going back to what we first talked about is when, when I saw you uh, at the Eastside Bowl, mm. I didn't make the connection. And it's not that I was kind of scanning the room and trying to like, how do I, mm. I'm here, I'm, I'm on the other side of town where I'm not normally at, and how do I like make sure that I'm shaking hands and saying <laughs> yeah. hi to everybody? Literally, I was just like trying to remember Stephen's songs. Right. And then- You're doing hang- your job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> at least that part of the job uh, uh,
0: and um and and say hi to 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 some of my buddies or, or reconnect mm-hmm. like you know we grab some food afterwards and mm-hmm. i just don't see eric fritch that often these days yeah, and so um we we sat and we talked the whole time during dave coleman's set and i missed it the mm-hmm. whole set um so i i'm not necessarily every time I go out to play is an opportunity to hustle because I don't go out and see bands very much as much as I need to um, right. and I, I feel like I'm kind of at a point in my life that it's like how do I balance doing the right kind of social media and then getting out supporting my friends doing this stuff and mm. but making the, it feel yeah
2: natural
1: yeah the mi- I think for me the mistake for me is thinking that I'm ever going to figure that out because it's never it's every day's different. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a different person all the time. You know, my brain's different. I'm you know right now I'm going to more shows that I've gone to in probably five years. You know, I w- if I was at a sh- if st- still if if it's after ten o'clock, I'm probably being paid if I'm outside if I'm somewhere. <laughs> um, My wife gets up at five a.m. I I. I get up. I don't necessarily always get up her, but I'm up, and I'm happy doing that. And you know, most in Nashville right now, a lot of the shows I'm playing are like six to eight. You know? Yeah. And it's uh,
0: really
2: cool.
1: And with Chuck, if I'm on tour with Chuck, Chuck will do what he can because his his fan base is our age. They don't want to go. They don't want to wait till eleven o'clock to be <laughs> Chuck. Me. We <laughs> we yeah. flipped shows like he's. We've shown up somewhere and he's like. My people like to see shows at eight, you know, yeah. do you mind if the opener goes on second? And they're like, nope. And we'll do that. We'll be done. That's awesome. But anyway, um, yeah, it's, I'm going out more now. You know, the I was going to see Steven to see, because I've known Steven forever. And yeah. I've played, well, no, You a know, long time. I've played on some of those recordings. I did a lot with over at Fritch's with him. Mm-hmm. We did it. We did a thing where, I felt like once a week we were just going over there and recording like just and it wasn't long it was like maybe a couple hours yeah and I think honestly some of it turned into a record but I can't begin to tell you which we're aware but again it was like just flight time learning how to play or playing with each other stuff like that so anyway I was there because I like Steven I like what he does and I I like supporting him yeah and it was great they had a great band and it was cool
0: yeah it's it's i mean especially when Molly's singing and all mm-hmm. that stuff and and uh yeah it was it was it was definitely a good a good band i i really like stephen and you he know. should
1: he should be he should be getting more credit for what he does because that guy is he is a lifer and he is that person mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and he he's he works hard and he tours hard and he does he does all the stuff you're supposed to do
0: well, if you if possible based mm. on kind of this this whole arc of of, of <laughs> the way you've constructed the the work that you're doing and everything yeah. is it possible if you had a young drummer that wanted to move to Nashville and do what you're doing what advice you could give them say listen I don't want to I'm not into modern country I'm not into doing I don't want to do the lower Broadway scene mm. in its, in its you know, known form, you know, I mean, if it's playing Roberts or something like that, or AJ's on a Tuesday afternoon, that's cool. But, you know, there's exceptions to the rule down mm. there. But I mean, that's, that's you, you have an idea of what I'm saying. Like, mm. I kind of want to do more of the kind of music and the more variety and the more, like, in the trenches with creatives. Mm. like what you are doing, what would you tell them?
1: If you're just talking about what to do when you get to town, you know, because what to do, when you get to town versus what you should do as a drummer getting to town are not necessarily the same thing, mm. but How so? but well, well, if you, well, and you not, now that I said that, I'm not sure if I can back it up. <laughs> um, Yeah, I think it's more important to approach it from a music perspective. What basically the short version of what I'm thinking or what I know is I've told you, you know, I got attached to a club called IOTA. When I moved here, I got attached to a club called The Family Wash, which was basically a clubhouse. Both of them. If we had an idea, especially The Family Wash, if you had any idea, which Hags and Nova, go back to that. If you had an idea for anything, like I want to do a night of, I did it, I did it at Iota I just one day I woke up and I'm like, nobody does the Velvet Underground. I'm gonna do an entire night of the Velvet Underground. And uh-huh. within like, you know, a week I had it booked solid with singers and you know, a couple of weeks later we did it. Ornament, ornaments, same thing. Right. Find that find that place. I don't know where it is because I'm not twenty. You know, I don't yeah. know where that place is. But that's what I've told and um some do, some don't. Some go home. But so do some adults, you know. Nashville isn't for everyone, you got to go to find out, figure out. if sure. It's, it's, sure. it's for you. But what I do tell them is like, go find it's its personalities, go find the people you like to hang out with, right? And you know, chances are, especially in this town, it's going to be at a club around music somewhere. It doesn't have to be a bar, it could be, you know, like, and look what's happened at D's and the Five Spot, and so like that. Those are scenes, man. You know, D's is.
0: Are you playing D's tonight?
1: I am. John okay. Byrne. Yeah. Um, but these are all places now, like places like Underdog. That you know, that's all like hotshot guitar players, all keeping score in their heads, watching like this amazing stuff. You know, that uh-huh. place is that place is a hole in the wall. Yeah. I mean, there is there is nothing about that space other and and you again if you could figure out why that place then you could probably be a wealthy person, but there's no reason why that's the place, but it is the place, you know, like Guthrie Trapp's there every Monday night and he has, you know, Billy Gibbons is hanging out there (laughs) and it's like right around the corner of my house. And it is a storefront with no amenities, you know, like, um, but that's a place, you know, but that, so that's a scene that all, all these hotshot guitar players are all hanging out there. They're learning they're Da, 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 da. Right, right, right. that's the most important thing. You find the people in this town. This is my experience. You find the people who you get along with, you know, Ch- Chuck. I remember when Chuck hired me to play, I remember seeing him at some of my other gigs, pickup gigs, like Everly brothers night or something like that. And, you know, Chuck did his diligence. I know he asked people, you know, you want to, you know, is he nuts? Like, you know, just kind of like, do you, is he okay? You know? And then, and then you like do a show and then you find out. But right. but he and I had hung out anyway. So there's a comfort level before you even think about hiring somebody to
0: do a gig. But you show. use that word clubhouse. I yeah. love that's a perfect like, it's very much a descriptor of, of a of a club, you know, a place. And and you know I mean using like Lower Broadway, Nashville as an example, you don't go down there to hang out.
1: Not anymore. On, yeah not anymore when i when i first started playing i I moved here in 2003 within uh within a month i had a pickup gig and i wasn't i wouldn't say i i had offers to be um the guy for a slot for a band at roberts one Mm -hmm. time and i turned it down because i was I, i that wasn't where i wanted to be yeah it's Nothing against the people who who do that, especially right now, because they're killing it. But um, down, th- it was still cool to go down there. I mean, I would go down. And you hang know what? At that's Roberts. true. I would hang at Roberts yeah. if I wasn't doing anything. I'd Go down there, and hang out, and hang out with, especially at Roberts, because that's where you'd get a Roberts gig.
2: Yeah,
1: I ended up playing with you know John England for a whole summer when Walter Hartman was out of town, and uh, through that, all of a sudden, the band after that had Willie Cantu in it. Willie goes hey um here's my card um willie's great get your info in case i can't make you know it was this guy named monty good who went right after there were a few times where i pulled his gig and a gig after that at full moon across the street like a full eight hours
0: yeah i did that Monday. and i'm still recovering
1: yeah there's people who are doing that right now you know certain guys like paul kramer that guy's doing doubles like three or four times a week
0: right now. He's,
1: and has been. Okay. That's a different breed of person. I'm not built for that. You no. Know, I, I, when I do it now, I can really feel it. And, <laughs> I, and, and I know now that the drum throne is the most important part of yes. my year. Yes. I'm trying to figure out how to fly with one on Friday, but I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it off.
0: Okay. Where are you going Friday?
1: I'm going up to DC. Uh, there's a, Cellar Door was another clubhouse in D.C. from like the late 60s through the 70s like everybody on earth played there. Uh-huh. Graham Parsons was at Cellar Door when he saw Emmylou Harris singing there oh, and cool. that's where, where that happened Pete Finney who played with Doug Song was at, Doug Song was, uh, Finney was playing at Cellar Door or something like that and that's how he met Doug Song we told him, same thing Paul Burch told me he was like get down to Austin, look me up so anyway, it's a a night of DC bands paying tribute to other bands that played cellar door. It's at the Hamilton. Um, the only band that's playing themselves is the sleeky boys, which was like a kind, kind of a new wave slash punk band from the late seventies, early eighties that had like a three record deal that they're great. And they also played there. So they actually do their own tribute to themselves. That's <laughs> <was> pretty badass. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, I'm in. I'm just going to hang up there because I have a Richmond Folk Festival with Chuck, um, Chuck Mead, uh, that following weekend. So that. Well,
0: that's... tell me about that gig. Tell me about Chuck Mead's gig, man.
1: Um, well, uh, Chuck is also a music director for the Broadway musical Million Dollar Quartet. Oh. Wow. Which is based on the Sun Records story of the only time that Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, um, Johnny Cash, and Elvis Presley were in the same. And Sun Record at the same time it was Christmas time. Um, those were bootleg tapes forever. I and mean, then they finally came out, and it's it's more of a document than it is like a toe tapper. You know, it's like those guys performing on tapes is, it's it's cool, but it's it's to me it's it's more of a document. Anyway, at some point they approached Chuck. They somebody had come up with the idea. Uh, this guy Eric Schaefer is the director, but I don't. You know, anyway, somebody got the idea to make a musical out of it. And they called Chuck down and, and uh, to come down there, they weren't down in there in Tampa. And, you know, he walked in and there was a guy playing a five string Ibanez bass. And, oh, and it was, he just like (laughs) scrapped the whole thing. And they were trying to get him to, uh, they want him to teach the actors how to play. And he said, no, there's this built in world of these rockabilly kids. I'm going to find them. And you teach them how to act, you know, because right, right. they've already got that part down because they have to play. It's basically, so basically these guys have to look like them, you know, sing like them and they're playing their own instruments. It's a, you know, it's on stage off book show where they're l- literally playing their own instruments. They had a Jerry Lee, all those guys, they got to have two of them because they have understudies. So anyway, when I first met him, he was just starting to do that. It was on Broadway and in Chicago from in London for a while. Now it's like a lot of it's on Cruise ships and maybe regional okay. stuff like that. Anyway, that takes up a lot of his time. So um we're in recording mode right now. So a lot of our stuff are fly dates, and we're never out. At first, we were out for like you know a couple of weeks at a time, but that's kind of where we're at. um We evolved through the pandemic into a trio. That's we went from what BR used to be or what BR was. And, br five four nine. Yeah, br five four nine. Um, very traditional, with their own little, you know, their own little hillbilly beatnik twist on basically classic country. Uh, you know, just post World War Two honky tonk, and Miss Well John, Johnny Horton is like their their north star. You know, okay. that guy's rockabilly, but he's also country. And we did that for a long time, but over the pandemic. Um, we kind of evolved as just a trio and we started playing, you know, again, like with Paul, we were just, we had these two hours to fill during the pandemic every other week. We started playing who covers and just anything, you know, mm-hmm. like if somebody, uh, uh, ah, I can't think of it right now, but we, we, you know, if somebody died, basically we would do like, we found ourselves doing like, you know, Bob Marley tunes and a Desmond, oh, not Desmond Decker, but, um, Toots. Toots of Toots and the Maytals. That guy, you know, he died oh. during the pandemic. Okay. And so, we, you know, Marky comes in and he goes, I want to play a Toots and the Maytals. You know, and we just started doing all that stuff. So we just, we started getting a little louder, more aggressive.
0: I mean, are you putting your own spin? You guys putting, yeah. kind of changing things.
1: When I do it, when we, with, that's just where we started to kind of branch out. And, and so we're approaching more of what Chuck right now is calling the who on hay bales. <laughs> and so there's there's elements of, rock pile and oh wow and not so much who but it's it, I, for me I, I know me and mark you're come at from more from like a band that would be at max's kansas city like rhythm section just kind mm. of like new york dolls but chuck's always going to be chuck on top of that so yeah that's what that's what gives it the spin and uh we got about four songs in the can for a record that's going to be it's it's different. It's cool.
0: You mentioned doing fly dates and I see, I've got some buddies that are, you know, posting, uh, asking questions in the community and say, I'm doing this fly date. Who does this? How do you fly this? How do you, you know, what's important? And, uh and it reminds me of something you posted recently of the, of a backline kit and it, you know, was like B8 symbols yeah. and like, <laughs> it this, just this, happened.
1: I mean, yeah, right. And uh, those, those symbols were truly terrible.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I mean the drum set looked like it, they just like.
1: It was a Tama and it was, it was, yeah, it was like, it had new drum smell on it still. I mean, I found out that the guy, the sound guy had bought it from a sax player who had bought it two years ago, but basically had never really unboxed it wow. or something like that. But I have this policy where I fly with sticks. Um. I do cruise ships. In the beginning of the year, we we've been doing the, the classic country cruise now for this will be like the fourteenth year I think. Mm-hmm. And and every other year we do the outlaw cruise, which is basically a ship that is south by southwest nineteen ninety seven, you know, for a week. And I, I'm lazy as part of it, but I, <laughs> I fly. And even like this gig, I fly with sticks. I just don't want to lug around. Yeah, I, I, I. This is the first time I went. Should have brought that cymbal bag. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But I made it work, you know. Yeah. If you, you know, a few well placed gels on a bad cymbal can can fix a few things, but not everything. But right, um, it's pretty rare that I get burned. You know, there's always, and we do some. We do some gigs that are, you know, deep Montana. We do these folk festivals like we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's one, one, one organization that does them in Montana and Massachusetts, and this one's in Richmond. And, you know, the kits are always pretty good, you know? You're always going to, you know, and it's not just like Maypex World either. It's like, you know, half the time I'm looking at a DW. You know, and I can sure I can certainly make you work.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's it's interesting when I when I went back up to Columbus one time, uh, I ran into my old boss at Columbus Pro Percussion, Jim Rupp, great jazz drummer, and uh, we were talking about backline stuff. And he goes, "You always get what you want." I'm like, "What do you mean? I you always get what I want?" And he goes, "No, you understand when I'm doing these like jazz festivals, and I need backline, mm-hmm. and so there's like it's." 13 16 22, right I, I i can't i can't use that like right. i need i need 12 14 18 you know that's his he's right. looking for a bebop yeah, yeah, kit yeah and it, it, he goes you can make anything and i'm like okay i see what you're saying yeah i i could probably make anything work but when you need a small kit and you're again trying to make melodies and and all these and tones come out of this thing mm you don't need some beater Tama kit from 1982 right. where if I walked in and there was a, you know, 1982 superstar there with pinstripes from 1986, I'd be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I find it, I, I know a lot about gear by, by playing house kits. I play a lot of house kits. um, yeah, like on the ships and stuff. And, like I said, I just travel with six. I'm doing the thing at Solar Door and the thing in Richmond. I'm just taking a stick back. Okay. Um, what, what cruise? And then I'll go, like, if if there's a symbol that's really good, I'll take a picture of it, you know, or I've, I've, uh, the Pearl, the Pearl Sensitone I, I own that I really love from the 90s was because of the house Sensitone I played at the Birchmere one time. I was like, I love this. I love yeah. That. And I just, I did, you know, cameras back then on your phones, but I just wrote, you know, Pearl Synthetone. I'm going to check that out. And I went and got one. You know, I did buy a Zildjian A uh, ride because I like so many of them. But, of course, I bought the only one that I really didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's Nelson Drum Shop now if you need to yeah, for switch sure. out stuff.
0: For sure. Well, I mean, uh, DW, I know they, they got in on the ground floor with so many backline companies they're like no we'll provide hardware but we'll, you know we'll give you a killer deal on yeah. this stuff so like a lot of these it's especially not, a major it's
1: major it's place. not my pick but yeah you know so what i can make one work
0: but now now they own gretch right so
1: and yeah. i sometimes i go i don't know i i've i've been the opener so many times and every once in a while i'll end up playing the kit and sometimes there'll be something ridiculous on there like like some china that would never happen in the music i'm playing or like i'm i've got some double kick thing which i don't know you how to do that <laughs> i know i don't know I, that's amazing to watch yeah right But uh, I, I there's i just literally no need for me to know how to do that and i'm afraid if i learned then i would start doing it which would really screw up i have no gig that i need to do that but i but do I, love watching I, it. I think it's cool yeah but uh but uh what's the cruise line you're playing? the classic one is Holland. All in America, and the Outlaw one is Norwegian. Norwegian, okay. But um, there was a year with Chuck where we were support for, at different times and back and forth, either Old Crow Medicine Show or uh, Loretta Lynn. Nice. And both of them really didn't want drums. I mean, they wanted drums, but they wanted minimal. So for a a year, I played nothing but a hi-hat, a snare. That's it. I mean, uh, and then I just started doing it anyway because we were doing so many gigs that way that we got used to it. Marky was playing a Mark Miller, the uh, bass player, was playing a doghouse bass, mm-hmm. and there was enough bottom. And the what Chuck was doing at the time, it was all kind of like hillbilly, you know, classic country stuff. That it worked, like you just kept exactly. doing it until you got. You do, you, this is what it sounds like when we do this.
0: Somebody's going to wonder what a doghouse bass uh,
1: is. Just you know, big, big the big bass. Oh, okay, the, the okay. Big, okay, like an upright, yeah, up but nothing.
0: Because there's times you see somebody like with some sort of you know, junk bass or oh, whatever, yeah, no. you know whatever. I just didn't know.
1: But there would be. Sh- you know, and so I probably did shoot that year. I probably did 75 gigs with just a snare. And, I had, and it was magical, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint because I never used anybody else's gear. <laughs> I walked on with my stuff and I, I was doing the Opry like that. We would play oh, Grand cool. Opry and i walk out and they'd throw one mic on me and then i just walk off of my stuff. I didn't have to be back there. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they put you behind the the whatever you call the hamster cage, the glass thing. Oh right. That's right, not right, there right. anymore. Yeah, but there was a couple time. of times where I'm behind and playing behind that thing. And and you're just so we're not used to that. We're used to like being so uh I had complete control over everything and it was great. And you know there were times where people come up and like I can't believe that you guys are making this much music with this right thing. And it right. was like over time it, you 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 know we just we we got a sound that way. I I really glad I did that. I'm really happy being back to full kit. If anything, I have more of a kit than I've than I've had in a long time. I actually have a second crash, which forever I was like, I'm not bring a second crash. <laughs> <laughs> but now I got one. Uh one
0: one one of the last things I wanna ask you about is um I didn't grow up playing country or learning country, but I have grown to appreciate it and love playing it because I feel like there are certain things that are called upon that can be challenging and there's elements of jazz and there's elements of rock. I mean, there's just so much that's compacted in there that if you overlook it. You're missing something.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot that I missed because I basically stopped listening to country music in 1980. You know, when I was doing those gigs with Willie Cant for, you know, subman for Willie, he, he called me one time and said, Hey, I, think i have a fever can you play and it was like a half an hour before the they started and i ran down there and it was an entire band of people who didn't know not only didn't know me but didn't know i was coming and it was all like old school badasses right yeah that and sounds what amazing I, that sounds with, awesome. and <laughs> terrifying you know <laughs> but um you know who's who's you know always be the worst player in uh, yeah. on the stage check
0: you know? no problem yeah
1: yeah and i just said you know they were like the you know, what the hell? And I went, uh Willie called, I'm I'm here. I said I if it's before nineteen eighty, it's cool. If it's after nineteen eighty, just just give me a little a pointer here and there. It took about half an hour, then they're like, Okay, yeah. 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 But um there's so much virtually jazz ruled the world. It's it's easy to forget unless you're care, you know. To forget that jazz was the entire universe of music from recorded music until the 50s. Yeah. Everything swung. Everything swung. It was pop. It's all you heard. That's all anybody could hear on the radio as soon as radio was invented. Or, you know, for the most part, So especially radio. So, right. So, Western swing bands are just a bunch of Texas dudes trying to sound like Duke Ellington, you know, they're, they're swinging hard. Uh, Ringo, Ringo swings. Yeah. You know, Charlie swings, Charlie, Charlie in Charlie's mind. He's a jazz drummer. He's not, but he, his heart is in jazz. When you hear him, you can hear it. Yeah. Um, what he is, is more important. You know, by trying to be a jazz player, he became a unique, one-of-a-kind rock drummer Mm -hmm. and that all the motown stuff all that stuff they're all jazz players country's no different all that honky-tonk stuff a lot of it is so it all swings up until it doesn't you know up until mid-60s you know um even the buck owen stuff it, it started getting more into straight eights but there's still a lot of shuffles well, I mean, Royer. Willie
0: was, you know, rooted in jazz.
1: W- Willie's his own thing. You know, wi- yeah. Willie, Willie, Willie just wants to be Django Reinhardt on
0: guitar. Well, I mean, uh, Willie can yeah. too. Oh, no, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh,
1: Willie's uh, a clock. Willie's a Swiss watch. When when drummers talk to me about country shuffles, yeah. I and there's obviously many more, but Willie is West Coast. He is a Swiss watch. Johnny Bush is the, what I would call the Texas style or this side of the country and it there's it lays back. It lays back a little bit. His stuff is more honky tonk. Yeah. Ray, his the Ray Price stuff, you can hear it all over It's just like sits right back there. Willie's dead yeah. on.
2: Yeah. California's
1: yeah. like that. Yeah. If I play with a California person, I know I need if I don't stay right on wow. they're gonna get on me. Okay. I I'm from I'm from Florida and Georgia, so I'm always gonna be slightly back. <laughs> Unless they tell me not to, but what
0: about that's your weird. playing?
1: Yes, all of it. <laughs> my entire my entire identity, slightly.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I just I think that's what is attracting me to it more and mm-hmm. more as I as I experience it and play it, and like I've always kind of dabbled in it and mm-hmm. would do gigs or sessions and and kind of play it, but n- never. Uh, treated it with the respect that it was necessary to really then uh, enjoy it, yeah, in such a way that that I enjoyed playing other styles of music. But.
1: Chris Scruggs has gotten me some gigs here and there. I got to play with him and Marty Stewart at the Ryman one time when uh Harry was it was Christmas time, so it was a thing at Opry at the Ryman, and it was a real simple shuffle. They but Chris Chris always introduces me to people. He goes, "Hey, this is uh this is my this is my buddy Marty. He's he's a he's a rare drummer in Nashville. He actually likes country music." <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, re, learn it's hard. To, I've some people, you know, I, I've it, it's important to try to find a way to respect it for sure. You know that country. Yeah. I know a lot of people who can pull it off fine and, and in their heart of hearts, they don't. They don't, you know, they think they ought to be doing something else. But when I'm playing country, I'm playing it. I'm, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm putting, what, what would Johnny Bush be doing on this? And it would be not a lot and swinging hard.
2: Yeah. Know? Yeah.
1: Get those feet moving. That's dancing music.
2: Yeah. Especially yeah. the show. I love to the shuffle.
1: There was a time Same. where me and Mark Horn, who's since moved away. We were like the two guys that people were calling for shuffling just because we swing you know it swings hard but now there's it's all different now.
0: I don't know how many times i've I play a gig and we'll do a shuffle, and everybody just kind of looks at each other and said, "Can we just do more of that <laughs> we just keep keep yeah. going and like it's yeah, but it's but most of the gigs I'm doing it's it. It's just it's just a one-off here and there, you know, it's the kind of, like, hey, you know, they want this kind of song. I would love to they?
1: be a dance band drummer. You know, uh, I once, by complete accident, ended up playing uh, in a Conjunto band with Santiago Jimenez Jr. It's like, there's the patriarch Santiago Jimenez, Conjunto's uh, Mexican-American, Texas-mostly style of wow. Mexican music that's... It's from the German immigrants, so it's it's basically polka music played by Texicans. Okay. On either side of the border. Yeah. You'd know it if you heard it. Flacco Jimenez, has all those guys. A lot of what Doug Som did in the Texas Tornadoes, all that stuff. Yeah, and it, you can hear it in things like a lot of those Texas uh, rock bands, like, well, Doug Somm for sure, Sir Douglas Quintet, and uh, even things like... Uh, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs like willy bully and stuff all that super uh-huh. high farfisa stuff yeah. is those guys like they heard all that all that tex mex stuff and that's their accordion you know that's uh-huh. you know 96 tears and willy bully it's all got that vibe about it but anyway uh, i had a, <laughs> this is to say i had a Arhuli t-shirt on which was like that record label captured folk music from all over the country and stuff. I had that t-shirt on and Santiago came over and said, Oh, do you like that? I'm on that label. Yeah. he goes, we don't have a drummer today. Do you want to play Conjunto? Do you like it? I went, yes. So I played basically Mexican American polka music for like, I think we played for 90 minutes and it was amazing.
2: (laughs) Wow. Wow.
1: (laughs) And it's like less is more with that stuff. You know, there's little things you do, but, um, I love, you know, I would be perfectly happy being in a dance band. I love seeing people dancing yeah. to the music. That's why I like going out of Texas. Yeah. Everybody dances. Yes, that's true. doesn't matter what age.
2: That's as long as I like they Robert. think that
1: you're from Texas. That's they're what I Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I like about Roberts. Yeah. Like, it's less so now, but you can go early enough. Go see John England on a Monday night. Uh, they're, they're dancing. Yeah, is that... When does he play on Monday? Six to ten. He's a, West, he's a Western swinger.
0: Okay, okay. I play on Monday nights, 6 to 10. Oh, well, there you go. And then the the guitar player... Uh, Where do you so I play at the stage.
1: Oh, okay. So you're right. Sure.
0: And then he, uh, the guitar player sometimes uh, will run over to Roberts and do the, the uh, 10 to 2. Oh, okay. Right after that, he'll do... He did that Monday. He did a double. There. What's Played his name? The Rob Music.
1: I know him, but I, I know you're talking about
0: Yeah, great player. Uh, I've been working with him. Uh, in his singer, uh, the, the the called Whiskey Cash and Roses. Uh, okay. So it's Rob Music and uh, Holland Marie Go Gray, ahead. and and um, we're going to San Diego actually this weekend. Uh, but but Rob's one of those guys, Rob plays uh, late uh, on Tuesday nights at AJ's as well. It's always got a killer band.
1: The last thing I, that, I, that popped into my head was like, yeah. this is working drum, drummers podcast is like, I've I've only been on a bus. I think two times, you know, I'm, I'm a club. I play clubs. I'm a club player. I've done it the whole time. Yeah. And I've, I have other work that I do. That is a, do not feel like that. That is not success. Right. No, no one should feel that way. You get your, you know, it's amazing when you talk to uh, people who, Aren't in the business. They just, they don't really have a real concept of what it's like. Nobody asks a plumber who's making a perfectly fine living why, you know, why, why don't they go do something else? Because they're not a millionaire plumber, you know, like, and they're not riding in limos. Right. You know, that, and that's the other thing that, that, I I, was, I liked about Nashville besides the the other things I was talking about was like there's a musician middle class here. It's like regular people. They play in their church on Sunday, then they get on a bus, you know, on yeah. Thursday, and they come back, and then they play in church again, or whatever. You know, it, it's not it's not weird to be in the solid you know middle working class and do this. It doesn't mean you've made a mistake. No,
0: you know? I, I, I and I've yeah. heard you say that before and uh i love that idea and there's just a, there just isn't the pressure to feel like you need to do anything more than what you want to be doing and because no. you have to stay keep a foot into the 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 reason why we play drums and the reason why we play music the reason why we love music is uh should never go away no. and i think that sometimes can get distorted if there is a level of financial success,
1: and but also don't freak out if it stops being fun for a minute because it's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. It's yeah, happen. like you may have to like just kind of recalibrate or kind of yeah. take a step back, take a break, figure out Do like what is what is it can. about this? Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's a really good point.
1: Um, it's it's yeah the fact that it's uh, you know we did shows with Cowboy Jack Clement. And he hit that. And this is everybody knows this in Nashville, but he he always said, "You know, it's boys. We're in the fun business. If you aren't having fun. You aren't doing your job. That that's like his motto. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and even if that fun is, even if even if you have even if you have to fake it till you make it, you know, uh, action thought will follow action. If you go, okay, this is going to be good, and I'm going to go." start doing it a lot of times your mind will follow Hmm. and all of a sudden you realize, Hey, yeah, it is good.
2: You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, there's nothing wrong with that. No. Okay. You know, the ornaments thing, one of the reasons we did that, and that's, that's a way to play jazz and bossa Nova basically at the same time. But the, one of the reasons we really want to do is because we want to, we are home at Christmas anyway, and we, wanted to have a thing that we did around Christmas time. And it was never about, it was never meant to get as big as it got, you know, however big that is, which isn't huge, but it's enough to take care of my last quarter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, people are always, they, we have, we have, we now have 17 year old kids are going to college that have seen us every year since they were babies in a bassinet. Right. You know, that this this is the thing they do every Christmas is more as important to them as like Santa Claus and everything else.
0: My 18 year old is off studying music and he'd seen you guys a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, but a lot of times you get these conversations where like, you know, it doesn't feel like Christmas until we do this, or like, I just haven't been (laughs) able to get in the Christmas mood. I can't really, you know, what what do you guys do to get in that Christmas mood? I said, we do this. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not in the Christmas mood until I start doing it like i have to i start having well i've got to start listening to the the record again and i start pulling out you know then you know the chances are that your thought is going to follow your action you if you don't step out of your house it's not gonna you know start making cookies (laughs) do something you know right 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 and i'm just that's that's a weird example of if you just start doing something, even if you don't really feel like it, which is a hard thing to do.
0: It's like the build it and they will come. Yeah. Kind of situation. Kind of, yeah. 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 So are you happy you moved to Nashville? Oh yeah. You I don't did? regret
1: it. Yeah. Not at all. Awesome. I've, there's been sacrifices, but, um, no, I, I don't, I can't think of us. And I, you know, I've, uh, I'm on my second marriage. I guess my last marriage. Sorry, Judy. Um, <laughs> my last marriage forever.
0: Uh, I introduced my wife as I, this is my first wife.
1: <laughs> uh, it, I've missed a lot of things. You know, you miss a lot of things when you're a musician. You miss birthdays. You miss sure. this, this, and that. Da, da, da. But um, there's no point where I thought, boy, you know, Nashville is a really bad idea. You know, no, I don't regret anything. like i said i grew up in florida georgia and i lived in dc i still love going back to dc i don't regret not living there i regret i mean i miss parts of dc but that's not the same as wanting to move back i've never i've never felt like moving back everybody occasionally crosses their mind to go back home i think a lot of people do anyway you know i go down to florida and we're at the beach for a week and i'm like man this would be pretty good but (laughs) you know then
0: then you got to live in Florida.
1: That's my life, you know. I mean, <laughs> and all my everyone I love is in Florida. All my family's there. That's where yeah. I'm from.
2: Yeah.
1: That's that's if you know, uh, I'll probably have my ashes scattered at New Smyrna Beach, but yeah. um, that doesn't mean I have to go back. You know, it's, yeah. It's it's, right. it's, in, it's it's you take it with you. Yeah. So yeah. no, I I I still love Nashville. Nashville has changed exponentially in the last ten years, and there's a lot. I think coming from a bigger city, where I lived in the city, I lived, you know, downtown D.C. and Adams Morgan for part of that time, and knowing how a bigger city works, it it helps me. And my wife's from Boston. I think for us, the big city stuff that's coming is isn't completely alien, as it can be for some people. Right. Even people who are transplants, they they, but maybe they didn't come from. The east coast maybe they came from somewhere in the mid a small town in the midwest or wherever. like this is this is becoming a met a big city it's happening Mm -hmm. yeah it's you know in 20 years it might be as big as atlanta maybe bigger
0: yeah it's it's interesting they put it that way i mean columbus was bigger than nashville i you know honestly i don't know where it stands now uh with all that but it is that's what my wife and i were used to and she works in the nonprofit world and Helps find housing for people that need it and um I uh I play for tourists and create more unhoused <laughs> situations. So uh we kind of feed into each other. <laughs> uh, but man, it's, it's, it's good to have you over here. It's good to like speak to you in person and Thanks. all that stuff. I feel like we have so many mutual friends and have had some mutual gigs and stuff like that. So it's good for drummers to like it's do good. this from time to time.
1: Yeah, it is. And it was good for, you know, things like this make me organize my thoughts a little more than
0: I, <laughs> I apologize to... for that.
1: That's <laughs> no, okay. No, it it's good. It's good for me. It, it really is. That's awesome, um, man. Cause I, I, uh, i get real skittish talking about drums um
0: which makes me want to have more guests like you you (laughs) because when i when i got the call to work at columbus pro percussion when i was a kid i hesitated for a moment i'm like do i want to be hanging out with a bunch of drummers and talk about drums i just love music i just happen to be a drummer yeah this is my instrument
1: once i get in You know, I'm loathe. I'm loath to start talking about drums, even if somebody asks me a couple questions. I'm still kind of like, yeah, yeah, I have them. You know, but then if a a switch will flip, you know, where I'm like, oh yeah, and I realize I'm I'm kind of enjoying talking about it. But I'm so used to people not caring, even in the band. Like (laughs) I know so much about guitars because that's all this guy's talking about. Yeah, pedals, guitars. I have a, you know all this and that. If I start talking about the drums, they're on their phone. Like, you know, they don't want to know. Some do, most don't.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've got some non-drummer fans, uh, for <laughs> sure. That's that's kind of fun, for <laughs> sure. But, uh, Martin, cool. thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate I you. like
1: I like the, ooh, I like the radio handshake. We just shook hands.
0: We just did. Cook, cook, cook.
1: I think you can hear that. As long as, also me destroying your desk.
2: <laughs>
0: I put you there, man. Yeah.
1: So there you have it, my conversation with Martin
0: Linz. That was super fun and I hope that we have a chance to hang out in person for real uh, in the future. But if you get a chance to catch him with Chuck Mead or any of the other players while passing through Nashville, please check Martin Linz out. I had a chance to go out the other night and support some friends playing music and I met a young drummer who recognized my voice from the podcast and that was super cool But one of the things in our conversation that he said that was kind of interesting was he goes, Oh, you're playing gigs? I thought that you did the podcast full-time. I I think it's cool that he thinks that I do the podcast full-time or that it makes enough money to do that. But my point of all this is we have support on Patreon, we have other listener support, we have a little bit of ad revenue, but I want everyone to know that Zach and I donate a lot of our time to do this we have some money coming in from those sources but it really just keeps the lights on and we're cool with that but if you feel compelled to donate some money there is a PayPal link on our homepage workingdrummer.net. Uh, you can also join our patreon page for as little as a dollar but we have patreon members donating five ten twenty five dollars for our bonus content or if you are just interested in giving us some financial support for us to do the things that we need to do to keep this podcast going, please check those out. Thank you. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with drummer Mark Party. He lives in Vegas and tours with Moulin Rouge. He's worked in New York and London before that. He's played on many shows, tours, and all the things. So make sure you check that out. But for now, everyone, stay safe, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.